Loomis was obsessed with Michael Myers. This is quite a love fest. I think I'll call up the head and feel warm. There's no way, Fitz. Just a precaution. Tomorrow's Halloween. Yeah, you tell him to look for a guy with a cane and Alzheimer's. The guy would be younger than I am, okay? I was 15 when he killed his sister back in 63. Yes, yeah, Fitzsimmons. Pass me through the head and feel, please. Yeah. Michael Myers. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Do you think it's possible that something so tragic can happen to somebody that they never recover from? Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Halloween H2O, colon, 20 years later. Starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Look, I know today is the day, but I think... Oh, really? What day is that, John? Halloween. Josh Hartnett. 20 years. 20 years. Don't you think he would have shown up by now? Michelle Williams. And why do you think he was finally able to confront his monster? I think that Victor had reached a point in his life where he had nothing left to lose. I mean, the monster saw to that by killing off everybody that he loved. Victor finally had to face it. It was about redemption. And LL Cool J. Ronnie, the phone's around. I know. There's a strange car parked down at the gate, but I can't seem to find any signs of trespassing. Directed by Steve Miner. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Alright, let no one mess with me here. Jimmy's been suspended five times this year already for getting a little crazy with the stick. It's Gally in Glasgow. Oh, that's terrible. Take off your clothes. It's Evelyn in London. Leading to two tumultuous round melon breasts. It's Patrick in Cardiff. I can't. I'm having my nipples pierced. It's Matt in South Korea. <laughs> oh, welcome back, gang, and welcome back, listeners, as we continue our journey through the Halloween series and discuss Halloween H2O, colon, 20 years later and the previous iterations that led to the first return of Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode. As we are in the season to be spooky, guys, how are we feeling as we lead up to Halloween-y? Uh, I've got slasher fatigue. Are you just watching too many films, Matt, or what? I am. I'm trying to do a, a horror October of entirely slashers, plus the entire Halloween series. So uh, if I'm a little downbeat on slashers today, that's probably why. I'm, I'm, I'm just hitting that that point of fatigue but I'm, I'm hoping to get over the over the hump okay matt let's start with you seeming as you're clearly in the headspace for slashes what was uh what was your experience with uh with this entry in the halloween series well i tried to rewatch the whole series a couple of years ago but not for a podcast or research or anything i just tried it for fun and i really struggled um just as i did this year actually at, at almost the exact same point uh, I definitely watched four and five and H2O, but I didn't get to resurrection. I bailed before Buster. Halloween uh, hard on. Yeah. And I didn't get to the Rob Zombies, but I've seen them quite a bit. Uh, this time I got through them all apart from a rewatch of the 2018 David Gordon Green. So I'm quite fresh with the, with the franchise, but I'm also attempting this horror October. So it's a bit of a stretch at the moment. I'm desensitized to a worrying degree um i don't i don't remember seeing this one at the time when it came out but it may have been a rental uh i was immersed in the teen horrors scream and scream 2 i was telling patrick earlier that 
um, Scream 2 was a massive film because uh, that sequel discussion with Jamie Kennedy and Joshua Jackson and Buffy, uh, that kind of made me want to go to film school or at least go and study film. I, I just thought it was going to be like that every day and it, it, it was. Yeah, can, we, can we just say that film school was absolutely not that? I it's mean, not. I never had one f- interesting conversation about <laughs> pop, pop culture. It was all, if I remember rightly, it was like, uh, I think we watched the full Monty and then someone said, yeah, all the people that worked on this that were students are now in the industry. It'll never happen again. And that was about it. That's what we got told. <laughs> well, when I went for my interview, uh, I'd worked really hard. I made a film especially for the interview and they asked me all these deep personal questions about it. And as I was leaving in the corridor, the woman that was interviewing me uh, said, oh, oh, who are you? What are you doing here? And there's just this random guy in the hallway. And she said, oh, do you want to, do you want to come on this course? And I was still stood there. Like I, I've been putting all this work into it and they're asking strangers off the street to come onto the course and that they just wanted the money <laughs> in the end. But yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this, this sort of obsession with scream and things coincided with, um, the, the release of this one. I was, I was well into Dawson's Creek and, uh, party of five and, and all these things. So, uh, I remember watching urban legend and the faculty and idle hands was another one that I was kind of into at the time. Um, so yeah, this one was on the periphery somewhere, but, um, I, I can't recall seeing it for the first time. Uh, how about you, Patrick? Firstly, I remember at uni being, um, I'm going to name drop it. Is it Steve Marsden did my interview? (laughs) I remember him being just half asleep (laughs) and I, Mm. I I likened him to the doctor in the Simpsons. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) 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 he was just nodding off in our interview. I was like, wow, this is going bad. (laughs) um (laughs) yeah that guy (laughs) anyway about halloween h2 whoa second simpsons quote um as i said in the previous episode i hadn't seen any halloween films till we started all this um halloween 3 being the first podcast was involved in you guys halloween and then you told me to watch halloween 2 and halloween h2o so watch them this week uh watch halloween h2o just this morning to get ready for this as well and my, well, I suppose there you go. My, uh, impression and history with it is you guys. So whenever I look at Halloween, I'll think of the Rewind Movie Podcast. But Devlin, of course, you have a, a deeper, richer history with these films, right? Um, not really, to be honest. Like, um, I watched the, the, the sequels, the majority of the, the kind of the flabby middle sequels. Um, quite recently, I bought a big, DVD box set and and trolled my way through them a couple of Halloweens ago and tried to do the same. I know I tried to do the same last year and I couldn't get through five. I I think I got to two thirds of the way through Halloween five and and I got quite sad (laughs) because I was wasting my (laughs) Halloween night and I never made it to six. I have seen six once previously and then I rewatched everything up to and including H2O this time out. Um, so, so if, what, you know, what about H2O then? Like, what's your history with that? Uh, H2O, I, I saw back in, back when it came out. I saw it a, a few times. When I watched it this time, the vast majority of it all came back quite clearly. Um, bits in the middle, I didn't remember. And I think when we talk about it, there'll be reasons why that is the case. Um, so I've seen, yeah, H2O, same as everyone else, that whole dimension films kind of teen, teen leaning horror. Uh, um, was, was super popular and I was like everyone else. I was, I was into it. Um, but 
uh, it was interesting to come back to it probably H2O 20 years later, probably 15 years later for me, at least I would say it's, it's been D15, a long time. Dublin 15 years later. That's exactly <laughs> that. That title makes about as much sense as that film's title does. <laughs> H2O. <laughs> we should talk about how H2O slash H20 is a fucking dreadful title Why? for a film. What? It really is. It's too, it's it way too hip. to do with water. No, it's New. way too hip for me. It's not good. Not good yeah. title at all. You'd seen this before, right, Gally? Yeah, no, I'm I'm very much in the Matt camp, and and what you've said as well, which is um, that this this renaissance in horror, that which isn't re- can it be a renaissance if you weren't into it anyway? So it was really my awakening, which is actually quite sad in a way because I would suggest that a lot of these aren't particularly horrific, but then that was my first exposure to the genre, I guess, and it was the first time that I'd watched it and something felt like. It, it reflected back. So I was also watching Dawson's Creek and Party of Five. I don't know how Party of Five holds up, but I did revisit Dawson's Creek and the first three series are strong and then it gets really bad. Um, but, but yeah, so that, that whole Kevin Williamson screamification of horror was very much, uh, part and parcel. And the good thing is one came out every year. So it was like scream. I know what you did last summer. Then it was this, Urban Legend. So um, like you, Devlin, um, Halloween H2O, colon, 20 years later, always say the title in full. Um, yeah, I think this is the first time I've gone back to it. But before we do that, before we do that, let's do a little bit of plate setting. So listeners, we are going to run the gambit of the sequels prior to H2O um, just to kind of add context. So Devlin, we're going to... I'm going to lean on you to give us a very, very, very concise kind of roundup of Halloween 4, colon, the return of Michael Myers. You know, post-season of The Witch, clearly the the series was like, we need to bring back our, our big villain. And make sure he's in the title. Yes. Yeah, the... The, the, the angry mob needs to know that they're going to get exactly what kind of, uh, uh, cheaply processed cheeseburger they paid for here. Patrick, you, you haven't seen it. Um, but I'll just tell you my salient points, which is this one felt like the most akin to the slashes at the time. It felt super formulaic, kind of, I knew everything that was happening. We have some colorful characters, a fantastic slogan t-shirt. We have a good <laughs> jumping off point. We're retconning certain things and we bring back most of the key players, including Michael. But Jamie Lee Curtis isn't in four, five and six, is she? No, no, she knew better. But is Loomis? <laughs> yes. Now I saw that on IMDb and I was like, what the fuck? How? What? Uh, this is essentially, this is Donald Pleasance's series, really. I mean, right. Okay. Um, what is in all so- of them? Uh, up until, uh, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, he was very visibly ailing during, uh, uh, the production of that. Um, and I don't believe, I, I think he, he died before the film was completed. Yeah, it's dedicated to him, um, isn't it? After his uh, final yeah. scream, spoilers, uh, there's, uh, <laughs> a, a dedication on screen. It's not a dedication at the end of H2O to him. I think they thought he was going to die every time, so they just dedicated every film to him. Yeah. Also, H, H, H2O is a, is a, again, sandwiches, a 
better and more competent film than the absolute shit show that is Halloween 6. So I think yeah. it was probably, and like you say, Matt, that is a really weird and insulting place to put a, a epitaph to somebody's memory directly after they may or may not have perished off screen. Screams in pain. Yeah. They were clearly too old. He was, he was too old. Like I, the, the film is a mess for many reasons. We'll get to, we'll get to that. It's starting with four, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, we talked in it briefly in the last episode about Halloween two and how, um, the, 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 the cycle of films between 78 and 81 had, had turned over so quickly that by the time you got to 1981, Halloween 78 would have probably been a bit quaint. So they felt they had to up the gore and up the, the, the graphic nature of it. Um, so, uh, once kind of the rest of the industry was heading more down the path of the same old bullshit and Carpenter and Hill went in completely the opposite direction, which is a uh, horny middle-aged doctor visits a uh, spooky mask factory uh, <laughs> replete with stolen henge. By the time they looped back in 88 and, and Mustafa Akkad decided that uh, he wanted to bring back the, the series because everyone else was doing the series with the masks and the, everyone's getting what they want. By then you had, um, uh, Rennie Harlan's fourth, uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street outing was, was kind of turning Nightmare on Elm Street into the sort of n- nightmare circus MTV inspired super flashy, uh, iteration, all the catchphrases and the cool weird sets and the, all that kind of thing. Um, so Nightmare was riding quite high, but, uh, the Friday the 13th had really exhausted itself by 88. I think they're on their seventh film, if I'm not mistaken, which is the, um, the... Just before he goes to Manhattan. Yeah. The, the mind control dropping the jetty. It's just, it's that, if anything, was the film that oddly seemed to be the biggest influence on this next run of, of this little trilogy. They call it the Thorn Trilogy, although it's not really a trilogy. It's like the world's shittest game of exquisite corpse where a bunch of kind of, I, maybe they're competent writers. I don't know, but, um, they certainly were shoehorning things in and everyone who the baton was passed on to seemed to want to disregard at least two thirds of everything that had happened in the film before. Um, but what they built on top of it was just so sloppy and, and ill formed that by the time you get to six, I understand why in H20 colon 20 years later, they wanted to put a hard stop to this nonsense. We, sorry, we should set up the H2O actually embraces one and two. Is that right? Yes. Yes, it does. It's got the, but we will get to that. Um, uh, because I'm going to ask Patrick to do some story time. The one thing I will say, and again, again, this does kind of set up this crazy diversion in the timeline is that this, that's those three films creates a kind of split in the fandom. And I'm going to cite, um, a, a fantastic writer, Andrea Supersati. I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, of Rue Moore. Cause I read something over the weekend cause she was, um, talking about Halloween kills and how the Halloween fans are so split on what they want. Some want like nuts and bolts, good Michael kills. Others want like the heroine story that, that kind of beating her oppressor and you're never going to please both. And in a way, the diversion of the Jamie and Michael Myers return revenge stuff kind of created that bloodlust 
because it wasn't in the first one and it's kind of there in the second one, but really it's just a bit of hot tub killing and a few elaborate kills. It is four, five and six where he starts getting a bit creative with mm. uh, his disposing of people. Like I'm thinking about in four with the shotgun gut, which was, yeah. you know, that, that is not in Halloween one or two, I don't think. Or, uh, um, putting his thumbs through a man's skull. Which yeah. is the opening kill. And in a way, those fans, I'm sure, were also split on Halloween H2O colon 20 years later. But before we discuss <laughs> that, we need a plot summary. So Patrick, can you please inform us and our listeners of the story of Halloween H2O colon 20 years later? 20 years later, on October 29th, 1998, Michael Myers returns to ransack the deceased Sam Loomis' house to find the new whereabouts of Laurie Strode. Killing Loomis's former colleague Marion and her two annoying teenage neighbours in the process. Laurie has been living her new life as Carrie Tate at Hillcrest, a private boarding school in California with her son John and fornicates with guidance counsellor Poundland Clooney, Will, in between classes. Laurie and John clash as teens will be teens who plan their own Halloween party on site rather than join the school trip to the Yosemite. Laurie confesses her true identity to Will, a regular bucket of ice water on their romantic evening. Michael can't still be after his sister after 20 years, can he? Unfortunately for those that conveniently remain at Hillcrest, yes he can. Security guard and amateur erotic thriller writer Ronnie has let the boogeyman in. Michael Myers continuing his kills at Hillcrest. While she'll need knife-throwing lessons in the future, Laurie steps up and takes matters into her own hands, confronting Michael and makes sure the job is done. Or does she? Interesting, right? Um, I think strong premise. I like it. And <coughs> we, um, I think we talked about it in part one, Matt. I had, um, I, I, you know, I James Cameroned this here film by saying that H2O colon 20 years later felt like the Alan Ripley arc and the David Gordon Green was the Sarah Connor action, you know, feminine kind of survival film. And, and yeah, I think it's a good jumping off point. And I love the fact that they use an audio cue to kind of just say, listen, we're going to go from Halloween to by playing the Sandman, mm. which is great. Let it, let it not be said that the Kevin Williamson fingerprints they're all over this one, right? I mean, this is what, a year, two years removed from Scream? So he's now the hottest ticket in town. Well, he's definitely the Dimension Films golden boy. And obviously, uh, uh, it seems that he and, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis were kind of the driving force in this one. I don't know when it was that he got her on board, but, um, the, this is a very quick turnaround from, from Halloween six call on the curse of Michael Myers. There's only three years, which is surprising really because six was so poor i i'm surprised they thought that there was like life left in the halloween name but um clearly reattaching jamie lee curtis to it meant this became a much more prestigious production because the one thing you notice if you watch them very 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 quick succession like i matt i don't know if you had the same feeling which is like if nothing else the the opening sequence with, uh, with Joseph Gordon Levitt and the, and the nurse, smoking nurse coming to her home and the Mr. Sandman cue. It's like, 
oh, geez, we're finally in the hands of an actual film director as opposed to whichever fucking chumps they found for the last two installments. Yeah, I, I think it owes to uh, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare too. That that was kind of prior, that, that's the, the precursor to Scream, isn't it? So that's where it all kind of begins in 94, I think. And then I think they realized that the the way they were making the sequels was just not correct. They had to come at it in a different way. And with Scream being such a big hit, you can, you can, as Gally said, the fingerprints are all over this one. Well, I, I, and to the point where I was like, this is almost a little bit egregious. They're watching Scream 2 at one point in the movie. Yeah, yeah they are watching yes. Scream yeah. 2. But the, the opening, even just structurally. So I wonder, had Donald Pleasance been alive, I think you substitute the nurse for Loomis, right? And you kill him. Yeah, because this to me felt like the Drew Barrymore kill in Scream, but in the Halloween series, they didn't have anybody else other than the nurse because they dispensed of everyone. Like it had they kept Jamie alive, then this could have been Danielle Harris and they could have maybe used that as like your jumping off point. But mm. instead they just got, unfortunately, if you're, if you're new to the series and this is your first Halloween film, this is just a smoking nurse. I mean, I don't know, you know, and she's obsessed, but she's very much just taken the Loomis. And she's been in three movies, but that's all she is, really. I mean, yeah. huh. in, in two, she kind of warns him a bit, doesn't she? She she plays part. She I plays do like part. the surreptitiously left file that's titled yeah. Laurie Strode. <laughs> this place <laughs> on the table, very easy to find. Right in a spotlight. The key information has been taken. And let's yeah. not forget the wonderful production still of Donald Pleasance looking off camera to the left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can, I, can I just say, yeah. I this is not, this is not exclusive to Halloween H2O, but well, when will movies just get like a normal picture? Well, it, is it just, Patrick, you tell me, is it just something that you, because I'm thinking Margot, Ki- uh, sorry, Sean Connery in Indiana <laughs> Jones and the Crystal School, the, the Sean right. Connery still is outrageous. Like, it's just like. It's a lobby card, right? It's a lobby, oh. it's out, it's stupid. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think with the Donald Pleasance one, let's, let's imagine it passed away at this point, hadn't he? So they couldn't, A, organize one with him alive. To, to suit what was needed. Yeah. And uh, honestly, it might have been the best they could have at the time. You're not talking of digital photography now when you've got thousands of photos at any one time. You can just reel them off on a production. Back then, with the analog and, and on film, these photos, I think they're a bit fewer and far between to come. Whether you get it for, as a still from a film or if you, you've taken press photos, and unfortunately, they won't suit the needs of that because you're not thinking ahead. We're working in 1978 thinking, hmm, we'll need a photo in 20 years' time of someone lovingly looking at Donald on, on a table in their desk. So it, it, it kind of owes to that a little bit and you get the best you can and that's what we have. The Connery one's not terrible in Crystal School, but I understand what you're saying. The Connery one is worse because I think Harrison Ford picks it up and says, I miss dad. And it's just the weirdest picture. Yeah. <laughs> like the, Connery looking Now, like nowadays <laughs> when they CGI them or they Photoshop and sort of cut them out and they put young faces on and, and mm. they try and compile well, a family. I don't like that at all. So. I've just been doing that on, uh, on the film I'm working on now, Matt. I've had to do some stills on there and it stills are hard work, man, because no one want it gets to the point of like what camera are we doing on don't know 
well, get one. You know, like no one wants to, t- it stills is this unwanted <laughs> job that people don't do on films. But- it's so obvious because it's a black and white framed photo on top of a file that says Laurie Strode. But I guess <laughs> Michael, <laughs> yeah. Michael was ransacking it to try and find it. But it's a but good then, But then also like compare it to the Josh Hartnett photo, John, that in, in, uh, that's awesome. uh, that's Kate, a headshot. Uh, Strode's. Exactly. <laughs> because they had him at the time and they knew what they needed and they organized a photo with him that makes sense. But you can't do yeah. that with Donald and fortunately I, I what i do like is that we don't have another michael breaking out of a mental institution it's just he's turned up it's 20 in, years yes. it's 20 years later um and it's they, just, they, they just say they never found the body that was yeah i, I like done. that they they really they really simplified that that there's no slithering out of a mine shaft <laughs> into a river <laughs> <laughs> and waking up in a shack with a parrot in it. This is insane. Um, but, um, uh, I, I do like the, 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 the slickness. It's a nicely paced opener. I like the, um, the, the little gimmick of the her being in the, in the opposite house when the cops walk in. The timing of her breaking the window at the exact moment that they can't hear it. It's all scream again, Davlin. It's Drew Barrymore screaming when the cops and she's got her lar- larynx crushed or whatever. Yeah. It's the same thing. Larynx to the lambs again. What's the larynx again? Larynx. Throats. I don't know. I was larynx. Weird, larynx. Larynx. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. And of course, we've got the dimension. Is it the dimension thing that they yeah. started there with the, the scare chord? You know, at the beginning, you get the two teens, and they they show up like a Metal Gear Solid exclamation mark. And (laughs) that goes Um, throughout the whole film, these scare chords. And I I attribute that to Scream and Dimension films. Mm -hmm. I I will say um, Six, uh, one of the terrible, terrible things about that is that, again, I said it's not scary. And I think they tried to make Halloween Six very slow. And then when they edited it, they said, this is boring. Everyone's going to hate this. And they did that. They did these scare chords when? over and over and over and over again. Literally when anyone walks into a scene, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's very enervating. I, I don't think they overused it too much here. Mm. I think it was okay. I think there was a couple of them that were a bit unnecessary, but um, some yeah. stuff in the middle where you were like, right, when's, when's the, Pigeon going to scare someone next. So was, yeah, was and I'm guessing Gally from your opening quote. <laughs> <laughs> Moonraker forever. I'm guessing from your opening quote, Gally, that you're a fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hockey stick play. Hello. Oh well, it's a funny one, isn't it? Like again, this is supposed to be about Laurie, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go in on Joseph Gordon a little bit. A strange, strange relationship I have with this actor because. Loved him in Brick. You know, don't mind the, the third rock from the sun stuff. And, and actually, you know what? I really don't like him at all. And I think I blame Don John. I think when you've got the keys <laughs> yeah. to, when you've got the keys to the castle, you've done, you've worked with Nolan twice and you, you are, you are privy to all of this access. And the story you want to make is about some guy who's addicted to porn and it's fucking shit. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> But all the, all, I was with Michael. I would have, I would have happily sunk that ski further into it. <laughs> ski? Yeah, it's like an ice skating boot, isn't it? Nice, yeah. Skates. Yeah. He skates. gets a skate to the face. Yeah, I don't like him either. Boot. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. back you up, Gally. I, I don't like his gurning. Uh, I don't like the blue steel <laughs> nonsense. I don't, I didn't even like him on third, on th- third rock from the sun. 
So, um, yeah, when, when I saw him, I wanted him to die in the most violent way possible. And I segue it, into this though is I'm very like one of his films, 50 50 with Levitt. Uh, oh. Hey, I like yeah. him in, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You yes. very much. Yeah, he really I like him in Inception. Uh, I like him in Brick. That otherwise I have had discussion. I can't remember if it's you with Lev. Um, I think he's, I don't think he's that good an actor overall. No, no. And, and the worst thing is. He seems very smug as well. Yeah. yeah, Well, this is, and this is the bit that now really gets me. In fact, we said that in Inception, didn't we? I didn't like him in Inception. I thought he was, uh, in his dialogue scenes, really, um, off. Snarky, snidey. Bit too try hard, of which that has also replicated if anyone follows him on Twitter. Just seems very thirsty for attention. And I'm just like, have you not got any real mates? Like, genuinely, it seems kind of sad. He'll just tweet out stuff like, you know, hey thirsty. everyone, what, what are we doing now? What's everyone doing with their evening? It's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, write a song with me. Oh, could I just do that? That, that opening is, is quite terrific, really, in a way, because I, I've been watching a lot of these films and, trying to put a bingo uh, board together. And we've got neck trauma, peekaboo corpses, an asshole victim, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, a masked killer, <laughs> the cops are useless, and all of these tropes are used in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And that's a commitment to a, to the slasher subgenre right there. So I, I give it some points for that. And there's a nice mm. parallel to Halloween where with Marion going in the house and finding peekaboo corpses, like you said. Yeah. Like yeah. uh yeah, Laurie yeah. does in the first one. Uh, there are some nice subtle harks back to the original in this film. Kind of leads to one of the questions I had, which is we don't have John Carpenter returning behind the camera. So what was it, Devlin? I mean, was it money? Or, cause I know that Carpenter's career at this point, is he making Ghost of Mars at this point? Uh, it's his pre-Ghost of Mars. Where, where are we here? We're somewhere in the kind of, uh, is he making vampires? Damned, I think yeah. we're in the Village of the Damned Vampires era. Um, yeah, he could, he could have used the work. Now, uh, yes, there was talk of him coming back. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis lobbied for him very hard. She's always been very, um, uh, loyal to and very keen on John Carpenter. Um, Carpenter at this point was kind of in well into his burnout phase where he just wanted to play video games and get paid. So he said, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it for 10 minutes. No one ever talks about I've how got... high he is all the time. No one ever talks about what a big stoner he is. I think he's great. And I, I don't think he could have improved on this too much. I, I think John Carpenter is really talented and he is the originator of it all. But even on that first one, I do think he got a bit lucky with it. Uh, I think he's keen to bow out and appear as this genius or, or you stay long enough to become the villain. You know, he's, I think he's shrewd and intelligent enough. He saw what was happening with Wes and so yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll bow out. Maybe. I, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I agree actually. I, I think this was, this was always going to be a little bit workmanlike as a sequel. It needed to do a lot of heavy lifting and I think you needed a steady hand in there and, um, John Carpenter is a bit more of a maverick and yeah, he was, he was really burnt out on filmmaking at this point. I don't think he particularly enjoyed it. I think he wanted to play video games, play since, and like you say, get very, very, very high. So he wanted $10 million because he said that Mustafa account had stiffed him earlier in the, in the series and he wanted to get a little bit of revenge. I tell you what then, Devlin, I know who is perfect. The man who made Soul Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked shocked 
when you told me that that Steve Miner had made Soulman, because I watched Soulman a lot when I was a kid, and I very much regret it now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> just just for any listeners that don't know, this is not like some kind of hip kind of uh 70s movie this is a dreadful racist piece of nonsense Uh, it was a mid 80s with uh c thomas howell as as uh immortalized in the tremendous botch song uh starring c thomas howell as the soul man (laughs) it's the title of a of a very good metal track but this guy steve minor he did he get the film based off friday the 13th film well he, he was associate producer and assistant director and production manager on the original Friday, I think. And he worked on two and three. He worked on one of Dev's favorites, House. Uh, I like he, House. Yeah. And, and then he later did, um, uh, Lake Placid and the Mena Savari Day of the Dead and uh, a couple of others. He, he was, uh, mates with West. I guess they're all, it, it's quite incestuous, isn't it? With Sean S. Cunningham and, uh, Wes Craven. He was also on Last House on the Left. And Night of the Creeps as well. I think he was a second unit on that. And he'd worked with Jamie Lee on Mel Gibson's Forever Young, if you remember that. Oh, one. yeah. Oh. And as you say, it's workmanlike. And actually, this opening, I think, is very, very strong. Might argue it's one of the better aspects of the of the entire movie, if I can give some of my sandwiches away. I also, Gally, I thought at the beginning, I was like, well, someone's made an effort here to light it like the original film as well. And... You know, it doesn't look half bad, this opening. It's nicely timed out as well. You can tell that this is a sequence where they worked on it. You know, you've got the the the, the Sandman music cutting just as she steps onto the broken glass. They repeat that shot again with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's quite effective. I love the um the, the timing of the shot of the car coming down the driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as the cops discover the corpse. And when the lights come on, it's kind of cool as well. Yeah, it was, like you say, it was well choreographed and well staged and, um, it's a good, strong opening. And then we get to see something that, that fans of the series have probably been clamming for, which is no one wants to see Laurie Strode dead off screen in a car crash. Lo and behold, she's back. But is it Laurie Strode or is it Jamie Lee Curtis? When I saw her in that house, I, I thought, oh, that's Jamie Lee's house. And oh, that's Jamie Lee's new short haircut. And it felt more like she was just playing herself rather than playing Laurie in, in, in a way. And that, that, that actually took me out of it. Well, yeah, it did feel like she was like, I'll do the film, but I need to do it in my own house. Like I'm not going to yeah. go anywhere. <laughs> we should say now she's a high school head mistress and a functioning alcoholic secretly dating the, uh, the pound shop Clooney guidance counselor and fornicating with him, which is interesting because she's virginial in the original and, and the, the immediate follow up Halloween too. So, um, this is the first time we've, we've seen her as a, as a, as a woman. Well, one of the things that I do like is I like the idea that Laurie has been living with this for 20 years and with all the baggage it comes with. Now, I don't think Jamie Lee is wearing that. So as a functioning alcoholic, she's doing a pretty damn good job because she looks great in the film. I would have liked to have seen her slightly more. I know she's a headmistress, so you've got to obviously be professional. But I would have liked a few more gulps of the vodka. Like, it's not enough for me as an alky. Yeah. It's quite maybe some wild shakes. and caricature when she is drinking. Like, <laughs> it's just like yeah. crazy gulping that is... The, the 2018 one desperate. does it in a, in a better way, I think, because she's grayed and she's kind of, she's more of a grandma in that one. And, and although this, all this time has gone on, you can picture all of, uh, the, the trauma that she's gone through and it explores that PTSD thing a bit more. 
But in, in this one, it seems to be just a functional thing. There's a moment where she grabs for a fire axe and she becomes like a badass a bit later. And I don't feel it's earned in this one as much as when she becomes a badass in the David Gordon Green version. I, um, I did like the, uh, the opening altercation that she has with Josh Hartner in the kitchen, although it's a very Kevin Williamson, the, the, the snark and the, um, I quite liked how acidic and mean it was. Cash is good. I'm gonna need it when I go to Yosemite. You're not going. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And with your full blessing, do you want to know why? Why? Because today is the day. I can feel it. Today is the day that you're going to realize that I'm 17 years old and your overprotection and paranoia is inhibiting my growth process. You want to go camping? I'll take you camping. I want to go with you. Sorry. Dad would let me go. Well, Dad is an abusive, chain-smoking, methadone addict. Who would attract someone like that? Ouch. It does feel a bit like a Halloween episode of... uh... Dawson's Creek in, in a way, like it, it doesn't feel, me and Gally mentioned it, it didn't feel too cinematic to me at this point. It felt more like a episodic television than, than a worthy successor to the original. Like the, the, the bickering. I like the bickering. I like the specifics of it. The whole chain smoking methadone addict. And it's like, and who could attract someone like that? It's, uh, it's some, it's some, some nice little spicy dialogue. You can see that somebody's punched that up. But I can also see that, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it draws in quite televisually. And then I think we all talked about that there's quite a long stretch of uh, a lot of just place setting and characters moving from one place to another. Well, you were right when in the previous episode, you talked about slasher films in general and the second act being really the crux of it, where it, it can all fall apart. And I just watched Halloween Kills. Uh, I won't give any spoilers on that because it's brand new, but that's the third part in a trilogy. And it feels like the second act of an overall thing. So one of the, one of the big problems with Halloween Kills, uh, is exactly that it does sag in, in the middle and kind of, you just have to spend time with it. I mean, you, we were talking about the, the Williamson influence and the, there are some flourishes. The one, the one line that kind of, immediately jumped out to me is when he's talking about inhibiting his growing process i was like oh that feels so so dawson yeah such a such a whiny but i tell you what though josh hartner don't know what greens he's having big 17 year old lad he's uh (laughs) he's he's a big guy but i'll get i'll give him i'll give him this like they've costumed him well he's trying to you know he's trying to get out from the from the grasps of his overprotective mother and 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 all all of that does track because one of the things that laurie was so clearly in the first one when she speaks to Tommy Doyle as, you know, I'm here, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. But obviously she's taken that to the nth in this with 20 years of fear of Michael coming back. One of the things that I kind of thought that they were going to do in revisiting it, I'll be interested, Patrick, because we're talking about the screamification of this this particular film, did you think it was going to be a bit of a a kind of mystery who done it? Because there's a one shot in particular where she's looking in a shop window and Poundland George turns up and she sees Michael and then it's him. And I did wonder if they were going to do that where it's actually someone's doing a copycat and it isn't actually Michael. Oh, I didn't get that actually, but, but, uh, but I see what you're saying and I don't disagree. I just, it did, I did, that didn't, um, 
uh, I think because of the reflection shot we had earlier with him over the shoulder in the faculty window or whatever, I think that shot I'd already attributed it to PTSD, like Matt was saying, thematics there. But uh, that would have been quite an interesting thing, Gully. These dream sequences and uh, never knowing whether it's really Michael, uh, I, I think that's overdone here. I think I, I counted three and then... But they that, that allows time. us to not think of Gally's way there because the, the POV dream stuff in when the knife in the picture and Laurie on the chalkboard and two reflections. Yeah, that's why I didn't think that, Gally. Right, but it, it also affects the horror though, and in, in, uh, it ha- starts to happen in some of the sequels. They start introducing supernatural elements and then dreams, and I guess it has something to do with Freddy. Uh, maybe there's a parallel happening there. But um, I, I always dislike it because when when someone dies, you're never really sure if they're dead, and when someone sees Michael, you're never really sure if they've really seen Michael. It just becomes confusing, and and it, it takes away from a lot of the the realism of the horror. Well, let's talk about what they substitute in, which is the kids, which when we were, you know, certainly me, Devlin and Matt, when we watched this at the ripe old age, we were absolutely, you know, perfect for this kind of, this kind of dorsification of, of Halloween. So <laughs> are we, are we enjoying Josh Hartnett, Jumanji kid, Michelle I, I, Williams? I did think, Ali, on the, on the other side of things, what I did think was Josh would be the hero, really. You know, he'd come to his mother's aid at the beginning and I thought he'd continue that and that's why he stayed behind. But I was quite pleasantly surprised that it was um, Laurie that took control at the end. Uh, that's where I thought it was kind of going. And are we enjoying it? Uh, not really from the teen aspect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so harsh. And I'll tell you why. It's because they're largely sidelined and it doesn't really matter. It's not like Nev Campbell. It's, it's not like a subversion that we talked about. Um, her party of five character that yeah, becomes yeah. a bit more adult. It, it, it felt like there's something strange that happens too with actors and episodic television. They start to speak in these rhythms. Nev Campbell does it all the time with these weird pauses she does, no matter who she plays. And I think it just comes from acting day in day out on an episodic tv and it happens here with uh, michelle williams a little bit uh, it happens with jennifer love hewitt in i know what you did last summer and this the way lines are delivered uh, she feels more like jen lindley than uh, uh than the character <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna pose something to you so we have jumanji kid we've got um we've got this very very you know she's very attractive kind of jumanji kid goth girl um <laughs> I didn't recognize her. No, I didn't recognize her and I didn't recognize a single bit of chemistry. There is no way that girl is into that guy. <laughs> like why he is the super horny one. He's wearing a woolen gray turtleneck in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he looks just like Jumanji kid. So I, I, that was a, that was a step too far for me where I was like, there's no way that she's into him. Hey, this is my history paper. I, had, I forgot to hand it in. Guess I won't be going to Yosemite. Guess everyone's gonna have to get, fuck. <laughs> That's the most far-fetched like premise in the whole film that she's going out with him. I think. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough one to swallow. But here's one that I couldn't that I couldn't help but think. So we have this conflict between Laurie and her son. She's she's buttoned him up. He's trying to break free of that and and try and say, listen, get over your PTSD. It's over. Stop drinking. There's a reference to the dad who is also a meth meth head. I'd like to see that movie where Laurie's like with some druggie. Um, but anyway, that all happens in the background. And I thought what would have been a nice resolution 
a nice arc was for the son to experience the trauma that his mother had gone through. He mm. doesn't. Why on earth, if you have Michelle Williams, do you not kill her? It really was like a proper annoying. I was, not that I want to see Michelle Williams dead. She's, she's the best actor in this cast, but not at this point. But don't have her. Why is she there? Like does nothing, achieves nothing. Best actor in the cast. You forgot about Janet Lee for one. But yes, I agree. Why isn't Michelle Williams? It, it, it didn't make any sense apart from this is the time and place. It's 1998. These slasher horror films for teens. You don't kill everyone. Yeah. You don't kill LL Cool J either. Well, you don't, yeah, but you don't, but he's for a different reason. Whereas with Michelle Williams, like, Nan, this is not, I'm talking, for, you know, 15 years removed, but there was a, a certain degree of titillation that was also involved in these kind of movies. Rose McGowan was the hot one in Scream. I was very surprised that they didn't go down that route. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and I know what he did last summer. You know, there is a bit of titillation. It's, it's, it's soft compared to our, you know, the eighties and for the Friday the 13th. But if you've got Michelle Williams, I don't understand why you don't kill it. And then that way it gives Josh Hartner a proper arc. Cause as you said, he kind of just gets put in a closet, literally. And then that's it. They disappear. He does cry one too many times. Well, he cries about four times in this film and he becomes like the damsel in the way. He should become the Dolores Strode of, of this and, and therefore connect with his mother. You're absolutely right. And it's unexplored. I thought that's what they were setting up though with him looking after her in the beginning. You know, like she's the alcoholic. And if you're really going down there, then maybe Laurie needed this to help her through alcoholism as well, through her son saving her. But she, she, we know she's been drinking and it's, she does have the nice thing, the confession. I quite like that, but I don't, I didn't buy the switch, the switch into beast mode. Didn't, I don't know. No. Yeah. Wasn't earned. Was it? Well, that's it. That's what Poundland Clooney's there for. One body count two. He's, he's, because I do love the fact that like not a tear is shed for poor poor yeah. David Arkin. <laughs> just like quick, not go. His name. Don't worry about him. <laughs> I don't even think they shout his name, name, do they? <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Quite, quite his like name. his death. Give him one. Right, no, it's just because I. Gally, did you say David Arkin? Oh, is that not his name? Adam Arkin. All oh, right. Will yeah. is the character. Yeah, Adam yeah. Arkin is the actor. Poundland George Clooney is his nickname. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a strange decision to whittle down this, to have this big school full of uh, potential victims and then to pack them all on a bus and fuck them off. It's like I said in my synopsis, conveniently left behind at Hillcrest. I could believe that that was just like... So, you've, so you've, you've narrowed the cast down to four, you winnowed it down. We don't know much about these kids as in they, they want to have some sort of horny single bottle of wine, Halloween fried chicken orgy uh, in, in the back room, <laughs> like next to some <laughs> abandoned chairs. It's really about an hour before Michael starts going at it. You know, th- there's, there's too much posturing and, and not enough Michael in the first hour of the film. Yeah. I totally, totally agree, Matt. That was where my gaze was going, which was, the what's the timestamp? Because I was like, Jesus Christ! Like this is a this is a short movie. It's like what an hour and twenty five, I think. Um, my God, do they just test your patience before you get to the? What I would have thought would have been this is the di- like the real kind of conflict for the fans, I guess. Is if you're here for the blood, 
you're going to have to wait. And if you're here for the big feminist kind of, I will beat my oppressor, you're also going to have to wait because you've got to watch Laurie Strode drink herself into a slush for an hour before she starts going into beast mode. And you're going to have to wait for Michael. So in the end, you feel like, oh, could you, we not do this earlier? Like, could we not get there sooner? There's some really clumsy writing as well, though, but, you know, coming back to your soap opera, uh, type, type stuff, because, the whole <laughs> Josh Hartnett John wants to go to Yosemite, then he doesn't. Then he's allowed to go, but he doesn't want to go. And then they want to go, but then they can't afford it. And then he doesn't go. Oh, fuck off! Just go to Yosemite. I don't. <laughs> and, uh, but also, when he escapes, when well, not escapes, when he goes out to buy a bottle of wine or whatever, what do they do? Steal alcohol? They shoplift a bottle of wine. Yeah, shoplift for the a romantic bottle. evening. I mean... oh, no, wild night. Um, <laughs> especially look at the size of Hartnett. I'm sure he could take his drink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like she's furious at him and then lets him go to Yosemite anyway after that I, that was all very confusing and then Matt going back to your point about uh, this dream kind of nonsense of was he there was it not is he dead is he not when Michael comes through um, he's walking down the path to her and she's kind of stunned and closing her eyes not believing it and he's still coming opens her eyes once and then we get the the scare cord again of Pan and George Clooney. I was like, why delay it? Just go get on with it. He's there. We know he's there. He's gone through the gate. Get on with Michael terrorizing them. I get, you know what? It led me to the big question for all of you. Do we miss Loomis? Cause I think we miss, if we didn't miss Pleasance, we miss someone being that person that says he's coming He's aware. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was the bit where I was like, I don't feel like there is a great deal of urgency until there is urgency, which then means that for an hour, I'm like, ah, I needed Donald Pleasant's hitchhiking across <laughs> fucking country to Maybe let Laurie know he's back. <laughs> Maybe it's because I watched them all back to back, but I didn't miss him at all. I was ready for him. <laughs> <Did you not? laughs> I think he bowed out a bit late anyway, and I do like him and I like the character and he is inherently tied to, to the series. But, um, yeah, but it, it was, it was always quite funny to me that he gave Carpenter such a hard time on the original saying it's overwritten and he used to moan about what he was making him say. And then he comes back for all of these films that are, that are infinitely it's the less. Same, and he does the same speech in increasingly maniacal, to, but I, yeah, I agree. I felt so bad for him in, in, in six. He was clearly so kind of, his voice is fucked like he's, it wheels he's him really out struggling. <laughs> he's really struggling to keep up they have to you could tell they had to shoot him in, in, in a really really small amount of time and he just seems honestly a little bit confused as to why he's there and yeah i he wouldn't fit in this world but i guess just because and and that's kind of a knock on the middle part of this film especially is that there is no sense of impending doom in the film it's too I don't know. It, it, it's sort of like meanders along and they try. There's the little set piece with Michael entering the gate with the spooky car with this, you know, the smoke coming out of the back of the car and LL Cool J's. But it, it kind of, it, it deflates its tension one too many times. Like you said, you know, to set up a thing, just fucking at some point, just pull the trigger on it. There's a nice bit in the bathroom, which again felt like a kind of direct pull from Scream where we see the footsteps and the woman and there's a child, which actually I think David Gordon Green then yep. kind of executes better 
in the 2018 where there's a baby in the house. And I thought that was a really good scene, actually. I, I did feel kind of unnerved and, the, you know, having a, ch- having a child in a scene, the paedophobia element of something, uh, probably the wrong word, but the scared for your child and then the hand grabbing the bag. But why the fuck is she driving that car? Well, he's got a pension for classic cars, it would appear. And and the other one as well was like, okay, so you've got Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. I get the psycho connection. Do something with it. Like, again, you wait, you kind of wait for an Easter egg. I thought she was going to be the Loomis, Matt. Because mm. ah. she, she leaves early. And why couldn't she then see that, make the connection, come back and say, he's coming. I thought she was going to be that person. Well, the other thing as well I was thinking is you're reviving a series and I do wonder if the producers were so conscious not to make it a Michael Myers film, but to make it a Jamie Lee Curtis film. But I felt like, if, okay, if you're not going to have a Dr. Loomis, have not a cult, because they, they went down the wrong wrong lane on that one, but a fan, somebody who was like from the town, who was a bit of a crazy, who okay, knew he yeah. was back. Just something to say, like to give us another character, because one of the things that Four did, I thought, better despite the fact that four being super derivative is it's a colorful cast of people. Whereas H2O 20 years later, everyone's kind of dull apart from Laurie and LL who is our, he is our kind of very, he, at least he's colorful. Like he's, he's, he's an interesting guy. He's writing erotic fiction on the side, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is something. I think LL, it's an interesting thing. I wondered why he was here. And I, I wondered about the, the African American comic relief character that we've seen in such f- films as Under Siege 2, done dreadfully and sometimes done quite well. Um, he miraculously survives Deep Blue Sea. And again, he miraculously survives this one. I think it could be a subversion of the trope that ethnic minorities get picked off. Well, it just grazed him, man. Yeah. And, and here he, he lives through it, but. Unless they're making a point, there's no reason for that character to survive. He dies in every slasher. But what point? Because, yeah, apart from like a social political thing, his character in this just stops her from hacking him up when she had the chance. From a character perspective, he dies every time, but because he's black, I feel, I feel like they're trying to, uh, you know, subvert something and say this, this movie is a little bit different. Again, going back to Wes Craven and, uh, New Nightmare and Scream reinvent. I assumed he'd be in the next one, the, mm. um, Cyra mm. Banks. Don't worry, we awesome. have another rapper. The, is it to, to broaden the audience also? Yeah. You have to be kind of cynical about it. And I think there is a little bit of that. And then when you have that cynicism baked in, then you try and, placate that with well we'll do something interesting with it which is well he's the goofy security guard who's also african-american so everyone will think he died it's quite nice to see a rapper struggle with words on screen like with his writing so that was good i did have one point and again maybe i'm getting overly sensitive nowadays but i just thought if you're gonna do that if you're gonna get the african-american security guard who's gonna subvert expectations why then make the girlfriend on the phone call Basically, the girl from Scary Movie who's in the cinema being super agree, like super obnoxious. It undoes all of the good work, doesn't it? It does. It undoes everything. And I was even I was getting like, this is this is gross. She took off her clothes, revealing her satiny, soft femininity. And Lawrence looked at her with lust in his eyes and said, I want to invade every part of your being. I want to tantalize myself with your sweet nectar. 
Tanya better not fall for that shit. I smell that a mile away. And Tanya laughed at him. You don't expect me to fall for that shit, she said. <laughs> That's right. Make us smart. That's it. Oh, shit, honey. Someone's here. Can I call you back? Oh, no, 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 no. I hold on. I want to know what stupid line Tanya falls for. The same one you did. Hold on a second. I, I think that's yeah. I think we're in the world of like white executives who think uh, that's. I, I'm sure I've heard this somewhere in some documentary. Where it's like you had a bunch of white executives in the '90s saying uh, essentially the, the huge fucking scare quotes. The urban audience, which is what they called them, because they didn't want to sound racist. Don't go to horror films. Let's put a popular African American in. And you might bump up the take a little bit, and that is as cynical. Well, that as was it the got. Buster Rhymes thing with with Resurrection, definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, and it's 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 kind of, and then as you point out, it's kind of gross that it you know it becomes because once they once the white executives have put them in there, of course, you've then got a bunch of other white executives and white writers thinking, what do they talk like they? And it's it's and it's uh, and it, it it comes out very 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 bad. <laughs> It is grim. I mean, we have moved on, but you have to call it out because I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I, cause I was kind of, you know, Red Shoe Diaries with LL Cool J. I'll take that. But like, why, <laughs> why then have like the girlfriend <laughs> be that character? It's just, yeah, it was poor. Anyway, let's, let's stay on, let's stay focused on Michael Myers a little bit. New actor playing Michael thoughts 20 years later, obviously. Not the same dude. You said, Gally, that he looks quite little. I think the costume designers have, have kind of made a bit of a rod for his own back because I think the jumpsuit's too big. So it kind of made him, despite him definitely being tall, he looks kind of small. And also the other thing that I didn't like in the costume in, or make in the design of the mask is the eyelids are too big. So it ends up looking like a dude in a mask where I was like, no, the part of, again, I'm getting into a little bit of fandom myself where I'm like, no, stop getting Bond wrong. <laughs> they clearly, Steve Miner, the director, has gone down the route of eyes are scarier than not eyes. So they really do focus on <laughs> the eyes. That sounds like something he would think. <laughs> I think in my, in my view, like had they been sunken and you couldn't see the eyes, yeah. that would be scarier. That whole quote, like the blackest eyes. Well, I think that the, the Shatner mask is like really hard to replicate. Like even now, if you buy one, uh, on like the trick or treat studios have got one that you can buy. I've never pulled the trigger on it because too old to <laughs> You're buy. You're so tempted Halloween though, haven't you? I can tell. <laughs> Every year I want one and I never pull the trigger. I can um, confirm from my, uh, um, my Evil Dead 2 mask that they are not cheap. <laughs> no, they're not, but everyone is different too. So it depends on the paint job. Each one is unique. So sometimes if you go on YouTube, it's like, Oh, I got a really good one. It's like, you got a really good one. They're all unique as far as the way they're painted. And the same applies to the movies. Like it's not just two holes in a blank surface. Like uh, it's like um, this one, the mask is all wrong. This is probably too, um, it's certainly too white. And and Steve Miner's fault, I think. I think he said he just wanted white, which was really dismissive of, of the mask. And there were so many problems with this one. They actually had to use CGI and some close-ups to digitally replace it it looked so bad yeah early early cg it reminded me of when they started filming predator with jean-claude van damme in that weird uh predator (laughs) 
with um, uh, suit with the weird claws. And John McTiernan said, you don't want us to, con- to continue with this, do you? And somebody <laughs> should have said that to the studio and they should have just got an, a new mask. Mm. It's, it's a really false start, really. We said, um, Galio, I was talking to you about this. I think that, um, uh, the first mask is so brilliant. I think just because you very rarely see it. It's always in, in, in the distance. So it's just an outline. Or I think the first time you actually see it with a light on it where you can actually make out what's happening is when he bursts through the closet. And at that point, you have that bare light bulb swinging in front of him, but it's blinking on and off. And it's like, it's a terrifying sequence. And like, I think you mentioned this as well, Matt, like the mass doesn't change the, the framing and the lighting changes. And if you keep showing it every time you put it on screen, it diminishes it because it's not, it can't stand up to that the first time you see it in four when he sits up in the dream sequence next to the bed and you see the full shot of the white yeah. white mask with the shit it's startling head. isn't it in a bad way like and you, it's it takes you out yeah. of it <laughs> yeah it's it, it very much drops you into uh, like I, a similar thing that happened on like the difference between the hobbit films and the lord of the rings films shooting everything in that super super mega clear high frame rate everything's in focus everything's right here and it's oh shit i can see the glue on the on the on the fake beards and i can the removal of mystique just on the michael myers mask just very going completely off kilter here on halloween 2 when uh laurie's in the hospital bed there was some really good lighting where i thought that they washed out a face that reminded me of the michael myers mask which Uh i thought might have been a deliberate thing to ask you about but um well there's a great moment i think Gally called it the trailer moment where they face off through the door and there's a circular window, like a porthole, and they, they face each other. And that's the moment that you want. And it never, you never quite get a payoff to, to that. There's some weird stuff as, as the film goes on, but that moment is great. And there's, there's a real charged energy in that, that moment that I'd quite like to see, like her and him face off. Well, what about the moment at the end when he reaches out to her? What do you think about that? Well, again, we're, I think we're seeing too much of it. Like, again, I can, I literally see the actor's eyes and almost make out his entire face, which I'm yeah. talking more about the gesture and what it means to mm. the characters. Well, it's cheapened by the uh, sequel, isn't it? Because we, we learn in the sequel that that's uh, not actually Michael. I'm sorry. What? What Jamie Lee Curtis said is her agreement to do H2O colon 20 years later was predicated on the fact that she would kill Michael Myers. Then the producers very much said, however, we would like to do another one straight after. So Jamie Lee Curtis was like, no, 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 no. Then apparently, according to her, I, I watched a Q&A with her. She said that Kevin Williamson said, what if the character thinks that she's killed Michael and the audience think it? Will you go with that? And she was like, yeah, as long as you kill me immediately in the next film, like kill me off, Laurie Strode. That is, um, they agreed. So, what we're meant, to, what we have to believe, which again, it's testing the Jumanji kid gets with Goth Girl as far as believability, is that Michael Myers has has got a, a paramedic swapped out the paramedic's suit, killed, um, not killed him, incapacitated him, and broken his larynx or larynx. Is it larynx? Larynx. 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 <laughs> He's broken his larynx, so he is unable to speak. Uh, and, and then put the mask on him, put the jumpsuit on, put him in the corpse bag, and actually Laurie cut off 
the paramedics had. Which retroactively destroys that moment of Michael uh, having that, uh, her and Michael having that moment together because it's not Michael at all. It's just some geezer in a, that, you know, that drives a, a, you know, an ambulance. And, and, and then that subsequently drives her mad because she killed an innocent. And then in the next one, she, Michael is actually alive and kills her. And that's it. Spoilers. Sorry, everyone. Um, but it's, yeah, that's, it's madness, right? I mean, it's actually yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like we yeah. couldn't, we couldn't in a drunken John Carpenter-esque <laughs> binge come up with anything more mental than that. But I mean, in a way, this is what happens when you write yourselves into corners. That, that right? has blown my mind. This series literally cannot get out of its own way, right? It's just constantly shooting itself in the foot. Anytime an interesting development comes up, everyone's too dumb to do anything with it or or too dumb to just know when to quit. <laughs> he shot himself in the foot and he scored an own goal with it. <laughs> it is madness because, as you say, it takes away all the power of the movie and it also renders it, which is why I think David Gordon Green just went to hell with any of these. It just renders it completely superfluous, which we've already been saying our time has been slightly wasted. You've got to wait an hour before you get the film that I think everyone came here to see. And then at the end of it, it was like, ah, but it was all for naught. Don't worry. And, and it kind of, yeah, it's just in a way, Jamie Lee Curtis is a, is one of the figureheads of the series, but I just, I, I mean, you know, where was she in at this point in her career? The money must have been too good, but it's a shame because it cheapens everything. It really does. Like, you as well just have him with the cult. You, you can retroactively damage things, can't you? Like, the, all these little decisions that you make. Like, there's some stuff in Halloween Kills, even, uh, that affects the original in my mind that I actually resented it for. Some certain characters return from the 1978 Halloween. And it's quite interesting. The, I, I won't give anything away, but, uh, Tommy Doyle is back and it's not Paul Rudd. It's, uh, it, it's the guy from the breakfast club, um, <laughs> instead and not Emilio Estevez and, uh, the, the little girl, Lindsay, who was also being babysat by Laurie it, uh, returns. And, you know, certain things happen with these characters that, that kind of tarnish the original. I won't think of the original in the same way as I did prior to seeing Halloween kills. So all these little decisions that are made can, can damage that original classic. And uh, that's one of one of the uh, the pitfalls of sequels, I suppose. Well, I think we're we're quite level headed, I would suggest, but we will face this time and time again on this podcast when we go into certain series, and you know, one day we might very well go through all the Terminators, and the same issues occur. I'm able to kind of part with the mentalness and just stick to what I love. But it is hard for a lot of audiences to kind of go with it because let's say this happened in a comic book. We could easily just like, eh, that was just a line kind of went. But when it's in a movie, the canon does matter. And it certainly matters to a lot of horror fans because they, you know, they literally will grab a hold of it and be like, "Uh, no, you can't do that. So you end up having to start again. But then when you start again, you feel beholden to the thing that created the reason why you have an IP. So it's H2O, there's some good stuff in it. And I guess my frustrations are, I've been super negative. It's because I think that they really could have done a lot with this story. And in the end, they don't. They don't do a a great deal with any of it. And nor with the talent that's 
you know, that they've got. Like Josh Hartnett, you know, we haven't really spoken about him. It was, it was his breakout role and year, wasn't it? He had this and the faculty in the same year. Yeah. yeah he's great in the faculty. He's, and, and playing a kind of similar kind of mm. rebel, school rebel. Same haircut, Matt. Same haircut. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> only, only yeah. a guy that handsome could get away with that haircut. I, I worked with him on Wrath of Man, uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, and cool. he was charming and really nice and I liked him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's it. And, and Michelle Williams, you know, even in Dawson's Creek, everyone could tell, listen, Vanderbeek, she's going to outstrip you. Just, I know that <laughs> the show's about you, but you are not going to outlive Michelle Williams. You know, she was the best thing in that show too. And I just think like, do something with this. And so what's surprising is that Kevin Williamson's obviously got such a great uh, reputation for this era, but hates to owe whether he was doing this like as a side gig he wasn't putting everything into it or it was just his limitations as a writer. Like he had one trick and that trick got exposed in H2O 20 years later. Cause he didn't do anything. He didn't, he doesn't bring anything to my mind, particularly that that's worth keeping alive. So that's why I can see why David Gordon Green just went, nah, we'll just go back to the original. It can be a folly to try and, you know, write a different version of a thing which already exists. But, I guess I just don't understand why they went so small scale with it. I know that perhaps they were trying to pay homage to the original by having a small cast, by timing out the, the, you know, the kills or whatever. I just, I don't think by doing that, I don't think you're actually creating a worthwhile follow up because you're not taking into account 20 years of developments in filmmaking that have happened in between. And I just, I, I think the, yeah, just the, a limited location can be great, but the lo- the location isn't limited enough. It's an entire giant school, again, which we don't always get a particularly great sense of geography for. Individual aspects. Two maybe. corridors, Devlin. Two corridors is what I kept seeing. The same bloody curtains. I was like, wait a minute. This is not, this is a major production. $17 million. You could do a lot with this. Why are we in the same corridor again? It was get, it was getting on my nerves. And also Michael um, Myers dancing on trestle tables. Yes. Uh-uh. Those things <laughs> yeah. aren't that strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen enough, uh, uh, hardcore wrestling to know that you will go straight through that if Bubba Ray <laughs> Dudley wants you to go through it. <laughs> 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 um, the, the kills themselves, I guess, the, of which there are not a, a, a huge amount. Um, the, the build up to them is, is is kind of slow and can we talk about the distribution of on-screen violence and how unfair it is to one character in particular yeah why does jumanji kid just get his throat slit off screen i don't even see his hand get churned up but then the girlfriend who actually wasn't even like the you know the the horror slut or she seemed like a decent friend like she was like oh i'm so glad that you were able to stay that's but, quite, but, that's quite a, an uncomfortable death, actually. Mm-hmm. Big time. Uh, pleading for her life. And... That dumb way to sequence is actually one of the saving graces of it for me. I, and, and I don't know if we can do favorite scenes. I've got a couple of little things, but that dumb way to stuff actually had some suspense to it. And, uh, it was, there was moments of tension during that. Mm-hmm. I, I, Pan Clooney's death, I quite like, like suspended in midair and. <laughs> It's yeah, a throwback to two, good. isn't it, with the nurse? Yeah. At least it yeah, makes yeah. more sense than doing it yeah, on, yeah. A, on a single scalpel. Come on, guys. <laughs> they should have had his <laughs> shoes drop off. Halloween that belt. would have been cool. Yeah, the shoes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Devlin, have you got any thoughts as to why her death is so protracted? Like, 
it's so extended and like we see her genuinely I, mean, I guess it is horrific but like you say you've got to even that out like someone else a guy needs to have a similar type of the way it's shot is that is that the hark back to psycho is that why we've got janet lee and we've done it that way because it cuts back to the knife i don't know it was weird. It was jarring death, actually. Um, yeah. It's just so long and so like brutal. And I, mm. I understand, like, like Matt was saying, I understand why you have it in there. Cause to be honest, the rest of the film has, has bumped along with not a great deal to, to, to recommend it. A kind of a, a small, but then, but then when he hangs her up and it is, does he have the light in her or something? Yeah. He's never done anything like that. Right? He just kills and moves on. Right. Halloween six, he kills, uh, the, the strode, the drunken strode guy, the Biff Tannen from the future. Um, but he, he impales him on a, um, like a fuse box and that's why his head blows up. Yeah. But you do have to display them, but to, to make, to get creative with the lighting is, is not his MO. Yeah. No, he's, I attribute, you know, from one and two, he's kill, move on. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's strangely elaborate. But it, but it also harked back to Drew Barrymore at the opening of Scream. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, and and weird, weird. It's not even a deep cut, but um, obviously the the peer through the circular window, Laurie, Michael, and also the the little kind of elevator food elevator thing. A lot of Jurassic Park for me. Yeah, you know? Velociraptor, yeah. and then Titanic dropping the keys. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's yeah. just there was just you could you can see where all of these have been influenced by writers watching stuff and going, ah, pinch that, pinch mm. that. But just you're right, Devlin. It should be it should be pointed out that her death is strangely on its own when it comes down to the brutality because mm. everything else is very safe and that compound fracture in the leg when the dumb waiter like fucking splits like, and then she has to crawl, dragging this like. It's the, the, do you remember there was a little bit of discourse about this in the hashtag discourse in, um, uh, the, the, the first of the new Jurassic Park films, the Colin Trevorrow one. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the bait, not the babysitter. It's the, the, it's assist, the assistant yeah, looking after the, the children who then gets brutalized. Yeah. Mangled for no good reason. And, uh, this had a similar thing. I understand that it's a slasher film. And to be honest, it is often the violence is meted out, uh, uh, almost at random, but. It, because it's such a small cast, it's like, yeah, Jumanji Kid off screen, her drawn out, vicious death and full corpse display. Do you think any of this is contractual as far as who dies and who lives? Do you think that negotiations go on in these kinds of films where like Michelle Williams, for example, would die in any other slasher, um, of this nature. But, um, at this time in her career, you have to wonder if someone's had a word and maybe she lives through it i mean there there might be something in that matt and, and we never really give enough credit to the the business side of things when it comes to yeah we tend to focus on the creative decisions but yeah from a story point of view it makes no sense that she survives and in a way it really makes no sense that she's there apart from being the girlfriend and as i said if she is going to be just the girlfriend then she should have been used to allow him to feel what his mother has been going through instead she survives he survives that is a the beast mode moment is the cheer moment in the in the audience though isn't it when when she actively makes a decision to stop running the people that watch these kind of slasher films we talked about halloween did it did it codify 
the trope of the final girl and everything that it encompasses, or did it just kind of add another flavor to it and it's kind of grown and grown and grown but Laurie Strode represents quite a lot in the horror community within these types of films and that moment is the I will not run there's a moment here where where she takes the initiative and goes after the ambulance that that's great I I loved all that and but again it's cheapened retroactively by Buster Rhymes and, and I'm not blaming Buster but you know, re- resurrection in, in what resurrection does with it and, and tries to explain away that. And, and every time you see that scene now, you know, it's not Michael. If you believe in the canon of uh, the, the it is ace when she grabs the gun and takes the axe though. I think that's a really great moment. I, I did think that as far as the cheer moment goes, the, the, the mad double knife windmill stabbing. The Bart and Lisa, Bart and Lisa is ice hockey rivals. I'm going to keep doing this. And if you get stabbed repeatedly in the chest, it's your own fault. It's, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it had a, it was quite rousing. You know, it, it, it worked for, for, for a little. It worked on me for a bit. I was, I was, I was kind of in. That was it. That was the stuff that I would, whether I was willing again to go round and wait an hour to get to that moment, I'm not entirely sure. I guess it, it speaks to the fact that there just hasn't been enough build up to then give me that cathartic, like, hoorah, uh, which is a shame because I think they could have done it. And I, 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 I messaged you guys offline and said, this film needed a B plot. It needed a B plot. Like there's just, there isn't one. There is just time sponging. Kids go off camping, which again, go camping. You can boink in a tent. Like that's fine. <laughs> Matt, you, you mentioned it before. Um, and, and one of the things, one of the things that is a staple of the series is the music. I thought it was interesting. They went with this slightly more romantic score. It's orchestral. There are big swells, you know, gone is the, the simplification of just a MIDI keyboard. Yeah. I think it's post scream again, isn't it? I, I wasn't a fan. I, I, this is John Ottman who unfortunately has ties to Brian Singer and uh, usual suspects. I think the score is far too heavy handed here and it's, it's laid on really thick and it's kind of over the top horns and uh, scream. And, and I know, I know what he did last summer and urban legend have a lot to answer for as far as like setting the tone for these big cacophonous things there's no modulation there's no subtlety and the the originality and the the sparing nature of the carpenter one just just shone through for me after watching that they actually uh, uh swiped a bunch of cues from screen in post-production they said that they weren't uh, uh they weren't no. super keen on the score as it came in and they literally oh. lifted uh, uh cues from apparently john Ottman was very upset about this why there's the there's a credit uh, to uh, additional music by Marco Beltrami. I okay. think that's who did the score for the Yeah, screen. that sounds right. Uh, so yeah, they just went ahead and lifted it, which, um, it, I know it happens. Geez, it happened on, uh, Alien, right? They, uh, was it Aliens? No, was it? it was Alien. Jerry Goldsmith was yep. new no happy about, <laughs> but they, but they pinched Jerry Goldsmith's old stuff. That's what yeah. he was annoyed about. Right, it's like, right. I, re- I wrote loads of new stuff and then well, they made him write another score. It feels of the time. Um, but I know which I prefer if you're talking about scores. I'd, I'd take that original Carpenter one over, over this. You know, the surprising thing to me was the on trend was to have a kind of hip soundtrack 
you know, I know what it did last summer had some banging hits. Yeah, the faculty had great ones too. And, and, and this didn't have any. It has one. It has a, oh, it does it have one? It has a fucking Creed track that they played twice. Oh um, yeah. What's that genre yeah. that you call it, Dev? The here, here. Uh, oh, the hunger dunga dangs. Hunger dunga dangs. It's my little I guess I'm eating into my conclusion slightly, but it felt like a real hodgepodge and no clear direction. Either stay with the teens and Laurie's the mad drunk who you need to save, or Laurie is going to be the superheroine that is going to, you know, it's the story is focused on here. They would say that they are focused on her, but she really only has one compelling scene in my book. And that's the bit where she kind of is speaking to Poundland George about this girl. And then he suddenly snaps into the idea that, oh, she's talking about herself. When he, uh, when he takes her outside from Janet Lee's office, it starts just mouth raping her. It's so like, such aggressive getting off with her. <laughs> oh, it's cow, it's cow tongue at the highest order, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You mentioned uh, Janet Lee earlier. There's, there's some interesting stuff with Psycho and the references that there's, uh, uh, that lad Charlie talks about, uh, Josh Hartnett and his mum opening up a motel in the middle of nowhere. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And there's the, the Janet Lee cameo. Uh, and then, you know, she's basically saying that like, I was killed in a movie too. Like I'm the ghost of Slash's past. So th- that one felt a bit too self, self-referential for me. That took me out of it a bit. It- it's almost worthy, worth this film existing so that that scene could happen between the two of them. Well, uh, I wonder with Jamie Lee Curtis's involvement and if she just wanted her mother in as well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. And then they were like, yeah, well, that's fine. Cause these kids, they love referencing horror films that they'd never seen. Right. Which is, you know, kind of the point. Cause I said in Scream, like I'd never seen any of the films that Jamie Kennedy's on about, but then I went out <laughs> and sought them out. So, you know, it works on me, but maybe this film just needed a Kennedy or a, or a, a Matthew Lillard, just maybe. someone who to be like, it's a Halloween, baby. Yeah. I, I'd rather <laughs> have a Kennedy. Lillard is, I don't know what he's doing in Scream. I don't know. It's, spitting, it's mainly yeah, spitting and drooling. Can imagine Rose McGowan had to have a, like a tissue stand all the time. Like, <laughs> Spat on me again, there, Matthew. Um, right, <laughs> I think I'm dying here, man. <laughs> Guys, I guess we'll get to our, our summaries. So I'll start with you, Patrick, as the newbie. Do you recommend Halloween H2O colon twenty years later? You know what? I, I usually recommend every film, don't I? And I always will say especially if you're a Halloween fan, to watch it and to see what it's about. I think it's very interesting to almost disregard 4, 5 and 6 and um, go straight from Halloween 2 into this. So from that basis, I will. Otherwise, don't really need to watch it. Um, it I like, if you talk favourite films, I like the opening. And there are bits in it that are quite cool and I quite liked. And it, it was entertaining, certainly. It was definitely felt of its time. But it's a soft recommend for me. It's, it's okay. But I did enjoy it. I wasn't bored. I was, I was kind of laughing at it a little bit in certain times. The trestle table stuff really did get me giggling because work trestle table is a lot of work. And I thought like, <laughs> no way that's happening. Um, <laughs> and I was, I was disappointed in the characters of the teens. Um, I didn't care about them dying. Actually, well, that said, I was quite shocked by her death, which was quite striking. But Josh Hartnett, Michelle Williams, very wasted. I liked it when she grabbed the gun and the axe and got in the ambulance and at the end. And I did think there was a little bit of intrigue there. 
So don't watch the next film if you want to hang on to that intrigue, apparently, because that has ruined it for me. Um, wasted opportunities, some things that could have been really good in a story and a, a script, but like blinking, the film's almost done. One hour 26, it flies through. I didn't like the music whatsoever. Um, Matt said it was over. It was too much and it really was. It was very distracting and very, you watch the opening scene to Halloween and there has no music and it's, it tells you everything you need to know about why this is wrong. Get the music off there. Let, let the thing do its thing, its point. But a load of pointless cuts and edits and when Michael's coming down the, the faculty, well, whatever it is, the, the street and she closes her eyes and it's Pound and George Clooney. Things like that just made me a bit pissed off with it. Um, just wasted my time and I wanted, well, it, it certainly left me wanting more, Gally. Um, it looked alright though. I thought the film looked okay. Um, Jamie Curtis was fine, actually. I think about it, like, she's okay. Um, not, nothing amazing, uh, which is a shame. Nothing really, really held me onto the film. Apart from, I want to read a local Jay's erotic thriller. Um, Gally, I'm going to go to you next because to go into the Jamie Lee Curtis thing, especially. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That we've talked for so long and actually it's supposed to be Laurie Strode's story and Jay, and it's supposed to be like, they've got, Jamie Lee Curtis back, but actually doesn't really make much of an impression because I don't really, everything feels so surface level. And I just think that they, they, if they just had a little bit more thought, maybe a couple more passes at the script, you know, Steve Miner for his sins on Soul Man. Listen, he's a competent director. This feels like it's helmed by someone who knows how to compose a shot and a sequence. That's all fine. I agree with Matt. If John Carpenter comes in, this just becomes another one of the films that he made that everyone kind of goes, mm, you need to go watch his better films. They're back, they're back in the, you know, 10 years prior. Although I would say that Vampires is fun. Like I would, maybe he would have made this more fun because that's the thing that I'm really disappointed at is that I'm not going to get scared like I did in the original because of all the years of Michael Myers being pumped into my timeline now on Twitter and just generally just being overexposed to to the shape. But what I wanted was to be like to have fun and to kind of enjoy a, a horror movie. And this just I was very, very bored and I'm not convinced it's worth it for 20 minutes of semi cathartic joy. So I'm actually gonna not recommend it, which is not where I would have put myself um before we we did this like two parter. And I'll probably say go watch Halloween 4 because I thought Halloween 4 was a better nuts and bolts horror film. And had this been more like that, uh, yes, derivative, but it would have been a better slasher. Like, I don't think this is a slasher and I don't think it's a particularly good human drama. So then it becomes like, well, what is it? And I I think, unfortunately, it ended up being a bit of a, a waste of my time, which, you know, I think Matt said it in the first one. Go watch the David Gordon Green one. Matt, I know we haven't talked about Rob Zombies. Maybe next year, because I think it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different Halloween. It's a completely different Michael Myers. It's a completely different approach. And I think probably, you know, I don't owe him anything, but he probably deserves like an episode on just the Rob Zombies. We, we don't have time to go, to go into it, but really all it should really be said about them is there's, there, there are two and his first entry, uh, is half, origin story 
and half uh, retelling of uh, exactly what happens in the original Carpenter. And the second one is when he goes full Rob Zombie. There's a lot of psychic, psychically tied characters. And uh, the, the overarching thing for the two is that he replaces suspense with brutality. That's really all I wanted to say about that, but I'm, I'm a fan of them and I would, I would seek them out and I'd love to do an episode on, on, on either episode. Devlin, what about you? Cause I, I, you know, I feel like I've been a bit of a, bit of a sourpuss. Um, I, I'm in a similar place really, uh, watching it. And I, and I did watch it quite recently cause this is a lot of films to try and fit in, in a short space of time. And I think much like not as bad as you Matt, because I've not been trying to watch uh, what 10 Halloween movies and <laughs> non Halloween movies all yeah. in a similar subgenre. Um, but I was a little burnt out on them, but, um, I was admiring the bug nuts bullshittery and like the, the stories behind how the terrible middle sequels came about, uh, are quite interesting. And it's quite interesting to see a, a specific type of incompetence on screen can be quite fascinating. Um, because you tend to get people making very strange decisions and it, the Halloween franchise is nothing but strange decisions as you go through. And, um, for all that I was happy to be in some capable, uh, um, hands for the opening sequence and feel like, Oh, this is actually a thought through sequence. I've not seen one of these in one of these films for, for a while now. Um, the, the competence did kind of settle into a mediocrity for a huge amount of the runtime. And I think that decisions were made from the very origins of the film that affected it throughout. I think the setting was a strange choice. I think the idea of Laurie becoming, um, a, a headmistress of a private school in a secluded gated region in Northern California is a strange choice. You have limitless possibilities of what she could have done. And I find it strange. I know she was smart and that was a thing that, that was always leaned upon in the first film, but um, it's, it's a, it's a difficult path to mentally tread in trying to get her from 1978 to 1998 with very little information in between. Um, and the, the whole thing wasn't really compelling enough to ask me to put that thought in as well, because like you said, that the characterization that she had throughout a lot of it was not especially fascinating. And, it largely just revolved around her seeing people in reflections of glass that weren't there. And that was kind of as far as it went. And David Gordon Green obviously had a, a, a deeper version of this. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't really get much out of it. I felt really strange when the violence actually kicked off. Like I said, I, I, I thought as, as tremendously well done and nasty a sequence as that was, it also sat very strange in the film that I'd been watching and not in the kind of jarring, Oh shit, here we go sense more in the just this feels perfunctory and you are making up for a lack of intrigue elsewhere with something extremely violent. Uh, and then, uh, it picks up towards the end. It is a, it is a, a, a relatively satisfying conclusion, uh, ignoring the complete fucking rewrite of that that happens straight after if you can't ignore it but yeah i i don't know i think there's more intrigue and more to chew on and more fascination that comes with the terrible terrible choices of five and six as horrible and grating and genuinely unpleasant as they are to watch sometimes than this kind of slightly bland take on 
on an era that at its height was great, but this really, it feels like an also ran. It feels like a dimension late nineties also ran. It, it doesn't even feel as compelling as something like urban legend, which again, at least has slightly more insanity around the edges and an unpredictability. Um, so yeah, probably, probably not a recommend. Yeah. Not great. Uh, how about you, Matt? Uh, my notes are really harsh on this one and it could be the, <laughs> the fatigue. Um, and, and maybe just seeing it in the context of other better films hurt it. Um, I, I wrote, it's a gigantic waste of time. So it's, it's <laughs> similar to Gally. Like, and that's, All right. and, and, and I, I found that I didn't want to say that, but just through the act of thinking that and writing it down, that's very revealing. I thought I was being harsh with my summary there, Matt. Well, Gally said waste of time. I just added the gigantic. So, uh, it, it's, it was all a bit swish and a bit self-referential. Uh, it's kind of trying to echo the past, um, relying on earlier films in the franchise, a bit too glossy. I think we talked about it before, like when films are a bit too glossy and, and Hollywood that you immediately lose a lot of horror. Uh, it didn't feel gritty enough and that's where you want a slice of rob zombie i think like in that that scene in the bathroom he would have killed the woman and the kid and then stolen the car and and that's just the way he would have done it i'm not saying that's better uh i didn't like that josh hartnett and michelle williams were capable of double teaming and beating up michael myers it just rendered him an, an idiot you know it was it was like a ghost face when you can you can kick him mm. in the bollocks and it's a little bit funny and you can hit him with a phone and he and he gets knocked oh! out. Yeah, it's like the, there's a shot where <laughs> Jamie Lee kicks him in the nuts and his eyes kind of cross. You can see it through the holes and it's like Adrian Edmondson could be under that mask. So it's like a scene from Bottom. But um, th- there were too many Michael fake outs. I wasn't really sure what was real and what wasn't. Uh, and that's where that dream logic kind of, uh, and, and the, the, the psychosis of characters kind of affected the horror in a negative way. Uh, I didn't like the staging and the blocking of the fights. Uh, it's like hashtag not my Michael. It, it reminded me of Alien Resurrection in a way where, um, uh, or, or t- to a certain degree, like Avatar, where Sigourney is trying to get back to what she was, but it's impossible because film has moved on and her age and it, it's, it was sometimes sad seeing someone try and get back to the past. And I felt like that even with the Gordon, David Gordon Green one. Um, and that stole some of the joy away from me. I, I think it is more satisfying to see her in those, uh, in Halloween and Halloween kills, but, um, that like her dialogue was echoing back. Like, don't go in that, go in that room and lock the door. Do as I say now. It was all taken from the original. And I felt like it was, they were attempting to relive former glories. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm sorry I, I can't recommend this one either. I, I read the Empire review or review saying like that this went back to scary as opposed to four, five, or six going were on violence, and Galley already disagreed with that. But I'm wondering you've you've placed a few of them. Do you have your whole list of Halloween films in order? Give it to me. Okay, the, the original. Uh, shall, I, shall I go backwards, reverse order? Five is the worst, then six, then H2O, then Resurrection, then four. And then I've put the 1981 Halloween 2. This is just a personal, this is just how I felt from watching them. Uh, and then Halloween Kills. Uh, so it just cracks the top five, the new one. And then Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 at four. 
And then the top three would be, uh, David Gordon Green's 2018 at three, Rob Zombie's remake at two, just purely because at least he tried something with it. At least he, it, it, there's an author trying to do something with material that he likes. And then the, the OG John Carpenter cool. 78 at number mm. one. How interesting the top three are all the Halloween. Films. Yeah, yeah. To a certain degree, they go yeah. back to where it began in a way mm. and they eliminate a lot of the nonsense that surrounds it. I tell you what though, we will publish that list and I may even give you mine because I've seen all the minus Halloween kills, but I'm hoping to see it this week. Um, so where gang can we, can we, <laughs> our listeners that we've told them not to watch it, but they never listen to us anyway. Um, where can they get Halloween H2O 20 years later? Well, you can't galley in the UK is the, is the bottom line. You, I had to, I had to rent it online and, um, for 48 hours. So I got to watch it twice in that window, which is good for the podcast. Um, unless you've got Devlin's super DVD box set, you'd probably buy an eBay cheap or something like that, but it's not available to stream unless you pay for it in the UK at the moment. Uh, H2O is, is not in the box set, unfortunately. What? So not, uh, it's not, but my box, the, the rights to these, uh, films are insane. The box set contains one through five. You have to buy six separately on a DVD. It does include Resurrection, but it doesn't include H2O. What? So, okay. uh, you can go buy some secondhand DVD for a pound, I'm sure, somewhere. Uh, I uh, went to rent it on Amazon. Unfortunately, uh, it was only a pound extra to buy it. So I now fucking own this. Yeah. <laughs> We've all trashed it. So I rented it for three forty nine on Apple. Yeah, right. I rented it. I rented it too. And uh, I want my money back. <laughs> It seems oddly hidden away considering the massive resurgence of interest in Halloween. I do notice that there's a lot of them streaming on Netflix right now. Stars Play has a huge amount of them. And yet this one is notable by its absence. Whether this is rights issues to do with the Miramax blow up, I don't know. Very possibly. Uh, I, I wrote in my notes, um, we needed a carpenter and we ended up with a miner. Hey! hey. Hiyo! I'm full of them today. Listeners should see the smile on his face at that. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, I, my, I might ask Devlin to put that on a t-shirt. Devlin, do you want to hawk our merch? Uh, I just downloaded, uh, the Carpenter font for use. Uh, so I can knock that t-shirt up. Uh, yes, we, uh, uh, if you enjoyed the cover art for our last episodes, uh, there is available on our T-Mail store as a poster. Uh, there's also a bunch of other stuff in there. The same stuff that was there last time. Some nice uh, Halloween drum was cracking, Devlin. Mm. Well, yeah, it really was. Uh, not sure what the cover for this one will be. If it's good, it'll be on there as a poster. If it's not, I'll hide it and you'll never see it again. Like I did <laughs> with the, uh, deep blue sea cover that I had to do <laughs> on a tablet. Also listeners, if you enjoy the show and you enjoyed this episode, then please show your support by liking, subscribing maybe pen us a little review just to say how awesome we are even a one star one any exposure is fantastic tell your friends and let us yeah, know what you think of friends. the film as well yes please do we have had another request in um <gasps> we haven't even got to paranormal activity yet let's slow down i know that. we will we will get to paranormal activity we just had mel gibson's payback i'm not sure how keen i am on that one um but we'll we'll you know, I will give it a watch and we'll put it to the parish and see if, uh, see if we'll take it. But there is a director's cut, right? That I, that it kind of flopped, but there's another version of it. 
That's the chap who's requested. He wants us to watch the hard cut. It was right. uh, that era when everything was just <laughs> too hard for theatres. Right. We will say our goodbyes then, shall we? Um, I am going to nick a line that is not from this movie, and that is because it is from Halloween Resurrection. It's a trick or treat, motherfucker. It's Gally in Glasgow <laughs> signing out. Oh, my uh, line of dialogue is oddly apt considering how downbeat our conclusions were. Uh, well, that's sucky. It's Devon in London. <laughs> Can I get another glass of Chardonnay, please? It's Patrick. I want to tantalise myself with your sweet nectar. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Let us show.